so excited to be with you this morning, whether you're online or whether you're here in person. It's just good to be together. And a little differently, if it's your first time, I'm actually going to read a statement this morning before the message. And I read this statement because words matter, and I don't want to be misquoted or misunderstood, which can still happen, because that being said, most, uh, though the words could be the most articulate ever, and from the purest of heart, I'm still human and don't get everything right. And also, we live in such a culture today that's so polarizing, uh, divisive, and seeks to counsel out anyone who doesn't agree with the same viewpoint. I was on sabbatical when the Supreme Court decision reversing Roe versus Wade came out, giving the states, not the federal government, jurisdiction over the abortion laws. Uh, most of my pastor friends across the country address uh, their congregation either in written or verbal form. And if I'm honest, I was glad to be on sabbatical. <laughs> I was glad to not have to face the immediate uh, urgent demands of my office and position of leadership. Uh, these conversations can be difficult to have. And if they're not difficult for you, it's because you don't have any friends on the other side of the issue. And w most of us have friends on the other side of the issue. We know that Thanksgiving and Christmas, you don't bring up religion and politics half the time because it just, uh, people struggle with it. That wasn't on the script. Get back to the script, Kent. Um, I've done my best as your pastor to keep politics and my personal politics out of the pulpit because my number one objective has been for people to hear the gospel and the good news. I have adopted my, in my ministry the Billy Graham rule. The moment you bring politics into this conversation, you lose 50% of your audience from hearing the gospel. Yet Franklin Graham, Billy's son, uh, took a very different stance, uh, was very political. And has been. I'm not saying either one or the other is right, but as it says in Romans, we must, we must each be convinced in our own minds, knowing the judgment seat we stand before will be God's and God's alone. Uh, this is not meant to be political, but there are issues I feel the church must address, even if imperfectly done by an imperfect pastor. Uh, the issues of abortion is a mostly charged topic. I think we can all agree on that. And that this topic is, a, is the one at hand uh, today and this week. I feel, f I feel for you to know, uh, it's important for you to know where your church stands on the issue. I also feel it's important to approach this issue with as much grace as we do truth. For many, I'm sure, in this room have been personally touched in one way or another, whether you, feel you've been, whether you feel you are here because your mother did not choose abortion or because you had an abortion and feel the shame or the shame of others. Either way, this is not a place of judgment. This church is a place of grace that welcomes everyone, including if you do not agree. We believe you belong here, as Pastor Brandon stated, and we do not want to be a church that participates in cancel culture because we believe the only canceling that Jesus ever did was to cancel our sins. But I am a Nazarene pastor. I grew up in the Nazarene church all my life. If you didn't know it, you're at a Nazarene church today. Since our inception in 1907, the Church of the Nazarene has strongly advocated and believes in the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception until a person's final breath. We believe that scripture teaches us the value in, in, in life place uh, seen in the Psalms. 139 is one example. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That should speak at least to all of us how much God loves us and how much he put into making us. So our church values the sanctity of life, but that position is not enough. For the church to believe this, we must put our money and actions where our mouth is. It is why we support strongly our Embrace Grace ministry to moms and actually soon-to-be dads of unplanned pregnancies. One of our greatest ministries around here is Embrace Grace. It's why we support and will need to support more our Open Door Pregnancy Care Center. Frankly, if we're serious about life and the value of every unborn child, we need to care more about that child after they are born as well. More Christians should be fostering. More Christians should be adopting. Now, I'm not, as you look at me, I'm not standing here in judgment. I have not fostered or adopted myself. And I'm not saying God is calling every single Christian to do so. But certainly the church needs to rise up in these days to provide more hope and opportunities for the future generation. We must also be a church that extends compassion to those who have had an abortion and grace to those who do not agree. My statement is longer than I anticipated. I'm a preacher. And yet it is still so incomplete. But I will trust God that he will use it for his purposes and you will receive it in the heart that it was intended. I also understand that some would hope that I would have spoken more forcefully while others would have hoped that I, hoped that I would not have spoken at all. But may we all move together, uh, move forward together, even if we disagree at points with truth and grace, with sincere conviction as well as deep compassion. Most importantly, let us commit to praying in these challenging days and times that we live in and fulfill the great commandment to love one another and extend grace and compassion, especially with those who disagree. Changing gears. You know what I'm talking about? You ever drove a stick shift? Anybody drive a stick shift? Any grind the gears, moving the stick shift? I've done that so many times. I thought about how to transition from that statement to the message that God laid upon my heart, and I thought there's no other way to do it than to grind the gears. So we're gonna move into second or third or fourth gear or whatever it is, back to the series we began last week, uh, encouraging us, and really this, the series is called Think New. Uh, last week, if you weren't here, I was encouraging us and feel that God has been speaking to my heart about the, uh, coming back from sabbatical, that I need to think like a new pastor, uh, that we need to think like a new church. If you're a believer, that we need to th think like new Christians, to remember what it was like when we first came to faith in Christ. We need to remember that. I left one out, that we need to remember what it is to be someone who's not a Christian, because we need to have their mindset as well in order to be able to reach those with the gospel that God so loves and wants to reach. But how do we do that? Well, for some inspiration this morning, and I needed some inspiration at this point especially, um, I'm gonna go to one of my favorite movies, Remember the Titans, and you'll hear from Coach Boone for just a few seconds. 
Now, if that doesn't get you fired up, there's something wrong with you this morning. I'm so excited for football season. I love the fall, not just the weather, but I love everything about it. But what Coach Boone here is, you don't have to like football to get into that. The, the whole movie, if you've seen it, mo most of you have, it's really not about football. It's not about football at all. It's about beliefs. It's about a belief system. And Coach Boone here is saying, we got to change the way that we think. Now, he was talking about behaviors, but before you can ever change behavior, you have to start in the mind. You have to change how the way you think. You have to, that's where it all starts. And in this particular movie, uh, in their case, their behavior, their racial prejudices, their hatred was never going to change until they changed their mind and until they changed their hearts to see every person as equals made in the image of their creator. And that's why the path to God starts with believing. Actually, the first path to God is what God did for us in sending his son. He made the first move. He, take, he took the first step to die on a cross for our sins and give us a path to him. But the next move is ours. And the first move we make in our journey towards God and our faith in him is to believe to change the way that we think. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It all starts with believing. It all starts with our, what we believe. But we believe that God doesn't just want a, us to, to believe so that we will be saved, but he wants us to be transformed. James tells us even the demons believe in God. I mean, anyone can believe. There's a lot of people who believe in God, but God wants to do so much more than save us. He wants to transform us and transform you and me. And he wants us to do that by thinking new. A couple chapters later, the apostle Paul wrote, don't copy the behavior and customs or conform to the patterns of this world, but let God, let God transform you. What, what a, that's, the, that's so important, let God. I don't know why I didn't bold it or highlight it, but for anything to happen, we have to allow God, let God, because God's a gentleman. He will not force himself on us. He will not force any man, woman, or child to, to, to come to him, to choose. That's what love is. Love, love, love is choosing. And he says, you have to let God. You have to allow God. We have to allow God to transform us to make us a new person by changing the way that we think. Then you will learn God to know God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. It all starts with changing the way we think. How we think is key, it's vital, it's imperative. So once a person is a Christian, how does a Christian think? How are they transformed? How do they think new? How do we, if we're followers of Jesus today, how do we live as God intended for us? Well, we have to change the way that we think. How? I mean, I was fighting it off, and it came anyway. We have to pray. Let me get that word out while you think about that. Pray. It's already gone. Pray. Uh, the conversation, prayer is a, is a what we, we, we talk about pray, we all pray, there's no one that's against prayer, but what is it to pray? What is prayer? Prayer is simply a conversation with God. It's a two-way, it's meant to be a two-way conversation. Now in my life, 
I, I'm kind of opposite. I know in most people's marriages, the woman does most of the talking. I don't know if it's because I'm a preacher or what. I do most of the talking. Heather's a really good listener. And the same is my relationship with God. I do a lot of the talking. God does a lot of the listening. Listening, But it's meant to be a two-way conversation. And well, how do, we, how do we have a two-way conversation with God? How, well, we have to listen. How do we listen? One of the ways that we listen is through other believers, other Christians speaking into our lives, through the quiet, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, sometimes through circumstances in our life, God speaks. I believe that God uses messages and preaching to speak into our life. I believe that you're hoping and wanting God to speak to you today. I hope you do. It never goes against his word. It always, the word of God is what speaks to us. And anything that's spoken to us, if it doesn't align with God's word, it's not from God. But it's meant to be this two-way conversation. And I've thought many times about prayer, how I pray and I petition God and I ask God over and over some of the same things, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I have found myself trying to persuade God, trying to convince God, trying to change his mind. Anybody try to change God's mind or you, feel you, you go to prayer with that kind of mindset? And I begin to think about this is prayer is not for us to change God's mind. Prayer is to change our minds. If we go to God in prayer thinking we need to change God's mind, then we've come to God with the wrong uh, foundation, the wrong premonition, that we, we're believing that God isn't ultimately good. We're believing that ultimately God doesn't have our best interests at heart. We're believing that God doesn't have good intentions that his motives might be a little bit off, that his plans aren't good. No, we believe God's plans are good, that he is good, he is infinitely good. And so prayer is not to change God's mind. Prayer is to change our minds. Prayer does not change God, prayer changes us. And when we pray, not if we pray, we, we all pray, but when we pray, we're told how to pray, that we're to pray without ceasing. We're to never stop praying. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 say this. We're to never stop praying. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Is that even physically possible? I don't know about you, but uh, the reason I probably went through kindergarten twice is they probably didn't, uh, uh, what do you call it, diagnose it back then, but I'm sure I have ADD. I see squirrels. When I pray to God, I see squirrels. I go different directions. I mean, I'm one minute into my prayer and I've gone, I'm like, we, is it physically possible to stay that concentrated? That's not what we're being asked to do. That's not what Paul is writing to us. It's about being a, in a spirit of prayer. It, it's, it's about an attitude of prayer. The Holocaust survivor, Corey Ten Boom, said it this way. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? The steering wheel is something we're always to be holding on. At least when you're driving, you're supposed to be holding on to your steering wheel. The spare tire is something we just get when we need a fix, when we're desperate, when things break down. Our spirit, our, our posture of prayer, when I'm driving down the road with Heather and we're going on a long trip, we did 8,000 miles this summer. When, when we're driving, we weren't talking the whole time, but I was always aware of her presence. And she was always aware of mine. We were aware of each other's presence. That's what it is to be in a spirit of prayer and not just use God as a spare tire. Don't get me wrong. We are to go to God when we're desperate. 
I'm not dis- despairing anyone for going to God when they're desperate. In fact, many of us came to God because we were desperate. And even then after that, how many times in my life do I go to God because I'm in desperate need? God doesn't tire that. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn us for that. When, when we're, it's a desperate, it's a great place to go to God. And if you're desperate today, it's a great place to go to God. But he's more than a spare tire. He's meant to be more than that. And I was thinking about visualizing this in my mind and visual illustrations. I thought this is not a complete illustration, but he's more than a Ford Pinto. My sister drove one of those. He's more than a Ford Pinto. He's more than a Ford Focus. He's more than a Chevy Spark, a Dodge Dart, or a Toyota Prius. And I'm not disparaging cheap cars. We own two of those. Or our girls own two of those. I I just believe that God is so much more than we can comprehend. And even this is false short. But he's the Cadillac, Range Rover, Rolls Royce, Ferrari, and Porsche rolled all into one. He's so much more than I can physically describe or, or, or imagine. Jesus is the ride that will get you where you need to go. But the engine and fuel for that ride is prayer. God's, he's ready there for us, but that fuel is our prayers. And it's what is the key for us. It's the one thing to say that, I know. It's another thing to believe that. Do we really believe that? Do I really believe that? We are invited over and over in Scripture to boldly pray. And today, I almost came to you with 20 to 25 different Scriptures that were so good about just how we're to pray boldly, how we're to be confident in our prayer. And yet, I knew that was going to take way too long, so I just share a couple with you today. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us in our time of need when we need him the most. You have kids. Many of you have kids or you have grandkids. And when your kids come to you, we love it when they come to us when they're on the mountaintop and the celebrations, but we equally love it when they come to us when they're, when they're at their bottom and when they're hurting and when they're broken. Any good parent uh, allows us kids to come to them boldly. And they don't come to us with a, a my, my girls don't anyway, they don't come to me and say, Father. They don't say, Reverend, Pastor. They don't say most holy reverend or whatever you want to put in there. They call me dad. Actually, in your presence, they're going to call me dad. But in my presence, they call me daddy. And our heavenly father invites us to have a a, a relationship with him where we boldly call him daddy. That we approach his throne with respect, but we approach it as a child who doesn't hesitate to come to his dad. And my girls, they've come to me at times, and Heather and I, with tears when they fail to test when they've experienced rejection, when they got a ticket or in-school suspension. Reagan's probably maybe watch online and think, those last two don't apply to me. That is Riley. You can go talk to Riley about that after the service. She's influencing your kids, teaching them today. <laughs> good parents want their kids to give their best, but good parents will also want to receive their kids' mess. We want our kids to come to us. How much more our Heavenly Father wants us, yeah, He wants us to bring us and give our best, but He also wants us to bring Him our mess. And 1 John 5 says, and we are confident that He hears us whenever we ask anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us, 
when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. That is a bold statement. That is one that we may struggle with a little bit. There's so many more scriptures, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. We're invited to pray to a father who is perfect that, that if we're as earthly fathers that are evil, want to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our perfect heavenly father want to give good gifts to us, those who ask him? And yet I know your thoughts are directed similar to where my thoughts go at this point. If God answers prayers, if he, if he grants what we ask, why hasn't he answered some of my prayers? Why have some of my prayers gone unanswered? And there's not enough time to unpack this. In fact, it would take one or more messages to really unpack this today. But in short, I believe God always answers prayer. I believe God always answers prayer. Now, it's not always the answer that we want. Any of us as parents or grandparents, our kids come to us, they've asked us many things. We don't always say yes. Sometimes we say no. Sometimes we say maybe later, not, you're, you're not ready or wait. But we always answer. God always answers prayer. And I'm reminded today that uh, I'm so thankful that God hasn't answered every prayer that I've asked for. If God had answered every prayer that I've asked for in my life, I wouldn't be married to Heather today. I wouldn't have Reagan and Riley today. I wouldn't be your pastor today. I wouldn't be living in Hutchison, Kansas today. Maybe you're thinking, where would you be today if he had answered your prayers? What prayers did he pray? Well, I can tell you where I'd be today if God had answered every one of my prayers. I today would be finishing. I would be uh, enjoying my uh, NFL uh, pension and retirement from my 15-year Hall of Fame career with the Denver Broncos. <laughs> this week in the news, it wouldn't have been Rob Walton that you heard about as the new Broncos owner. It had been Kent Peterson and his associates. I mean, my prayers would have been answered so much differently, but I, I believe the great theologian, Garth Brooks, <laughs> I believe he got something right when he wrote the song, Sometimes I Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer because there's prayers that, that, that weren't in my best interest that wouldn't, and yet I know this, I know there's still the thoughts because I have these thoughts too, but God, there's some things that you're in agreement with, that, you, that you're for, and you're not answering those prayers. Well, why are you not, you know, doesn't it please you to, to heal my marriage? Doesn't it please you to heal my broken body or heal me of cancer or, or, or spare this thing that's coming in my life? I mean, God, you, you said that if, if, it's, if it's pleasing to you, do these things not please you? And I don't have great answers this morning. I do believe God answers. Things still don't make sense to us sometimes and the things that we pray and we don't get the answers that seem to make sense to us. God doesn't intervene in every situation the way that we'd hoped or desires. I struggle with these. I'm sure you do too. But it helps to me to remind myself today that God is God and I'm not. That God sees the whole picture and we just see a small speck of it you cannot measure eternity it, it ever it's from everlasting to everlasting with God there is no beginning there is no end he's the one that created time but if you could put God in a box and God in a space and we said uh, time was from this end of the room to this end of the room where do we fit into that 
picture in eternity, it would be a speck, smaller than a speck in the cosmos. We just see a little bit. We see the, the, so what is so temporary. God sees the eternal. He sees everything. And someday, friends, I don't, it doesn't make sense now, but someday when we're on the other side, it's going to make sense or it's not going to matter. There's going to be questions that we think that we're going to care about. In the moment that we're in glory, it's not going to matter anymore. We have to continue to believe that he is worthy of our trust and devotion. We have to believe that God is inherently good. That he is not the one that created evil. The enemy created evil. The devil created evil and we bought into it. We are the ones and the devil are the ones that brought brokenness and sin into our world. It's God who is in the business of restoring and reconciling things to the way they once were. It's not Satan that went to a cross for us. It's Jesus that went to a cross for us to restore and redeem us. It's not Satan at the end who's gonna wipe every tear from our eyes. It's God who's gonna wipe every tear from our eyes. Every single tear that we've ever cried, it's God that's gonna wipe our tears from our eyes in the end. It's he is the one that's offering us a plan of redemption, eternal life. I don't understand why he doesn't always answer in the way that I would hope. But finally, if God doesn't answer yes or no, he answers not yet or wait. Billy Graham says this, I firmly believe God continues to answer the prayers of his people even after he has taken them to heaven. Never forget that God isn't bound by time the way that we are. We only see the present moment. God sees everything. We see only part of what he is doing. He sees it all. Friends, God wants us to think different. Thinking different is when we go into, when we pray, when we have conversation with him. God wants us to take our request to him. I'm not saying that at all. But the ultimate goal of prayer is not the gift and the blessings and the answer. The ultimate, the ultimate goal of prayer is the one who is the giver of those blessings, who's the one that, has, that answers those prayers. The goal of prayer is God. It's something I shared right before my last message before I left in May, Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking, or another word could be praying. I keep asking that the God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the purpose of prayer. That's the purpose of having our change our minds that we may know him better. And everyone wins when we know him better. Everyone wins in my life. The more I know God, the better I know God. Heather wins, my girls win, you win, my neighbors win. Everyone wins in your life when you know him better. Your spouse wins, your ex wins, your children win, your coworkers win, your classmates win. Everyone wins when we know him better. If all of us each week were just getting to know God better, we'd all be better for it. Everyone wins when we get to know him better. That's, that's the way that we change and the way we think different is we enter into prayer. And, and friends, Jesus is more than a Santa Claus. Santa is about presence. Jesus is about his presence. God wants to give you so much more than a gift. He wants to give you his presence. He wants to give you so much more than blessing. He wants to give you his presence. And you can never go wrong in the presence of God. When you pray, it changes everything. It changes you. It changes 
your view of others. Billy Graham also said, you cannot pray for someone and hate them at the same time. Now you can pray about someone and dislike or hate someone at the same time, but if you're praying for someone and for means that you're in favor of them, you want what's best for them, you're praying a blessing on them, you cannot hate someone and pray for someone at the same time. It's impossible. Prayer ushers in the presence of Jesus. And in the presence of Jesus, demons have to flee. In the presence of Jesus, anxiety finds relief. As Paul says to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. That's a hard one. Anybody come in here with just a few anxious things on their mind and heart, things that you're thinking about this week? It's okay to be anxious. We're gonna face anxiety, but what do we do with anxiety? What do we do with our anxious thoughts in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace or I think the presence, the peace or presence of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The battle that we face is a battle in the mind and the battle is to think new. Whether it's last week talking about thinking like a new pastor or a new Christian or a new church, the, the, it starts with prayer. That's what changes our thinking. That's what helps us to not change God's mind, but to change our minds. That helps us not for God to come in alignment with us, but for us to come in alignment with God. I want to challenge you. So I thought about this message this week. You can't leave without what the challenge is. And I've really thought about this, and I came up with this not on my own but from a secular study and it's this study that I found um, from a book by one was an atheist author and one was an agnostic or he's not sure so these are two guys I got to make this bigger these are two guys who wrote this book called how God changes our brain breakthrough findings from a leading neuroscientist and it's not an explicitly Christian book. One of the authors, Dr. Andrew Newberg, says, many of you are wondering, do I believe in God? I'm not even sure God exists. My associate, Mark, and co-author, doesn't believe God exists at all. I'm not sure. But what we can prove to you is that believing that God exists is fundamentally good for you as a human being. If you can't agree with scripture, let's at least agree with science. These are a couple guys who are saying, hey, it's fundamentally good for us to pray. It is a good thing wherever you are in your spectrum of your journey. He goes on to say, he identi Newberg identified several things he discovered about the effect of religious contemplation on the human brain. First, engaging in 12 minutes of personal reflection and prayer each day makes a profound impact on our brain. It changes the way we think. It strengthens a unique neural circuit that specifically enhances our social awareness and empathy and helps us love our neighbor by developing a heightened sense of compassion and subduing negative emotions. What is one of the most destructive feelings and emotions? Anger. What does anger do? It isolates us from other people, it cuts off. It destroys community as we retract within ourselves. 
it is important, so important that we change the way that we think. God doesn't want us just to believe in him and save us. He wants to believe in him that he wants to transform us. And we do that and we're called, there's so many scriptures about renewing our mind. We're called to re, renew our mind and it takes intentionality. It, t- it takes effort, it's not easy. My natural thoughts can de- go towards negativity, towards finding something wrong, to find something that's not gonna go right, to how it's not gonna work. It takes, it takes the Holy Spirit work in our life, us being intentional with God and partnering with God to say, God, I need you to help me think new to change the way that I think, to believe that you, uh, do we believe that God has better things in store for us? I'm not saying life's gonna be perfect, everything's gonna go well, but do we believe that God's plan for us is the best plan? Do we believe that God has our best interests at heart? Do we believe that God, as we uh, heard this morning from, uh, I, I saw it from a, a gal in our last church whose dad was in my life group, same age as me, and her dad had a massive stroke this week. He's about 50 years old, uh, 80% brain dead. They're praying for a miracle, and he, there's some things that are happening. We're praying along with them. But to see her post today that we believe in a God that can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And yes, she's going to when she's desperate, but I know this family, they also go to God when things are good. Do we believe in a God that is infinitely good, that loves us, that has a, uh, has a future for us? And you may be thinking this morning in that challenge, I want, my challenge was this, is I wanna challenge you to 12 minutes. If you're not already doing it, I wanna challenge you to 12 minutes a day in prayer. That's reading the God's word, that's, that's praying, but I wanna challenge you before your feet hit the floor to start your day 12 minutes with God. Science backs it up. Scripture backs it up. It, it unleashes God in our life and it helps us to follow him when we, when we pray and seek him. I wanna challenge you to spend 12 minutes a day. I wanna encourage you to do it for 18 straight days. They say if you do something for 18 straight days, it'll become a habit. I want to encourage you to make a good habit that's going to, it's going to make and help you be, be who God wants you to be and help you to be better. And you may be thinking, I don't really know how to pray. As the devotional I read on Tuesday, this is so good. The power of prayer is not in the one who asks, it's in the one who answers. The power of prayer is not in the one who asks, it's in the one who hears. It doesn't matter how it comes out of our mouth. What matters is it honestly comes out of our mouth. God is the one that makes prayer powerful, not us. There's, no, there's nobody in here that, you know, I, hear, I kinda hate that when you say, oh, that guy's, that person, that guy, they, boy, they're really good at prayer. God's not impressed by anybody's prayer. He's impressed by their heart. And I know people that can't, don't utter two words. God is pleased with their heart because he knows they're being honest with him. God knows our heart, that's what matters. So don't worry about what you say or how you say it. Just be honest with God and have a relationship. Share your frustrations, share your victories, share your defeats, share share the, the good, the mountaintops and the valleys, but go to God and share with him. And the other thing I wanna challenge this corporately, and this was kind of first service a little bit easier for us, I needed to think about the second service. I wanna challenge us to be a praying church. Not just praying individually, but Next January, we're gonna do 21 days of prayer. That's a little ways off, but 
uh, in the meantime, when I first began as pastor of this church seven years ago, I had a group of guys that prayed with me before. It was not a guys group. The ladies can join us too. But it was a group of guys that prayed for me before I came out here and preached and prayed for our services before the day. And I missed that. Somehow we've gotten away from that. And so it doesn't have to look exactly. In fact, the leader of that was Craig Wood. Um, sure miss him if you're new he died of cancer several years back and uh, he was the catalyst of that group and I began to think I need prayer I need God's people praying I'm a needy pastor and, and so I just want to invite you to take 12 minutes this is your service so I'd encourage you come, come at 1030 and just come sit down come pray come to these altars but come before the, the service 15 minutes before I'm inviting the first service to come at 9 to 920 and I don't care if it's two of you if it's 10 of you 20 of you we're not it's not about attendance or counting numbers and it's not an exclusive group it's an inclusive group yeah, this could be your first time here but I want to invite God's people in the church to pray maybe you can do it once a month maybe you do it once every six months maybe you can do it every week I'm not having any expectations but I am inviting God's people to pray because if we believe that God changes and answers prayers then we need to go to him in prayer and the more that we get to know him the better off we'll all be. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you desire to have a relationship with us. Lord, you look forward. When we, when we open our mouths and direct our thoughts to you, Lord, you look forward to it. You, you desire for us to have a relationship with you. And when we come to you, we can boldly come to you and you receive us with grace and mercy. It's your first instinct, Lord, is to wrap your arms of love around us. And I pray, Lord, you would help us to be a people of prayer who puts our faith and our trust in you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your church and for your people. Lord, I pray that this would be more than words, but this would become who we are. Lord, thank you, God, today for your church. Thank you for your people. Uh, Lord, thank you for many prayers you've answered in our lives. And Lord, the ones that we feel like you haven't, Lord, give us a faith to trust that you have. And in, in time, Lord, we're gonna see how you've worked as we trust in you. Father, we love you today. We give you all the praise. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week and can't wait to see you next Sunday.